I'm an adult. And I'm young. And this is Young Adults. Today we're reading through chapter 12 of Brandon Sanderson's The Well of Ascension. I tried in the room all young and hip. So, Snippet is yet more of the same, but this one's a little odd in that it has untranslated words in it. It does? Yeah, it says, the hero oh, of ages, yeah, the one called Rabzine in Plenium, the Anamasaur. So, uh, I just find that slightly odd that those words weren't translated when the rest of it presumably is. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, it's not like we don't have words like that mm. already. Um, yeah, no, no, sure, but uh, it's also significant that the Hero of Ages has a name in Clinium. How? In the sense that I feel like up to this point it was just treated as like a terrorist prophecy. Yeah. But apparently this is actually something that, like, it seems like the whole world knows about. Oh, I suppose. I don't know, I hadn't really thought of that. It's not like massively significant, but I guess it I guess it helps explain how he was uniting like a bunch of different kingdoms or whatever. Yeah. I suppose it just means that maybe people put more stock in the prophecy than we might have thought originally. Hmm, yeah, maybe. Or more people did at least. Yeah. So, uh the we start the chapter with the description of this valley. Uh so called. This this description really confused me. Written kind of differently. Like usually his prose is quite straightforward. Yeah. So and this was kind of like fancy. We we start we start off with it's a steep-sided crater-like valley. But then as it goes on, it becomes clear that no, this is a crater with like cliff walls. Yeah. Circular, and like that. I, I was super confused because I thought they just walked down into a valley and then they were trying to get into this fortress. But then no, it turns out that they're actually trying to get down into the valley. Because it's like a cliff that they're descending down. Yeah. So I, w- I, I, I was very confused by the description of them get, go, u- using the elevator. I thought it was a bit unclear. Uh, I had to go back and, and reread it a couple of times to figure out what was going on. I mean, maybe this is just me, but... Uh, no, I, I thought it was definitely a little bit unclear. Yeah. I, I don't think I was as confused as you were, though. Um, we also get what I feel like is maybe Brandon Sanderson, like preemptively defending against like nitpicks because he's like of course this is not a very defensible location for a fortress but you it see cool. the reason for it being there is actually because they wanted it to be out of out of the way and out of sight I so also, it actually makes perfect sense <laughs> I also thought that they wouldn't really need it to be that defensible because they're inquisitors there's that too. there's not many people who can really go up against them yeah or who would go up against them <laughs> yeah so, uh, Sazed uses his tin mind, which I think is the first time we've seen that. I, honestly, at this point, I just kind of know what he's talking about, so... Yeah, I but we, we actually see what it's like from his perspective when he enhances his eyesight. And it's not, it's actually not quite enhancement, like it is, but it's like zooming in. Yeah. So he, he actually can't see things that are like next to him, it seems like. Like a camera, almost. Yeah. And uh, we, we hear later that it also enhances his light vision. Uh, I think it's maybe worth noting that it's tin, so that also correlates with 
the Alamancy panels. I don't know exactly what the connections are, or I think Peter Peter does as well, right? So, um, what does Peter do again? I think for him, that's what gives him strength, like extra muscles and the stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, that that sounds right. Uh, so that although we see iron is weight, which doesn't quite match. Although it kind of does. It's kind of like gravity. Yeah, there's, there's, just, there's a maybe a. If you stretch it a little bit. A sort of a parallel. Um, so yeah, Marsh. Uh, I can see in your notes there. He's he's quite cagey about what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, he claims to be certain that the Inquisitors have left, but not to know how he knows or something. It's like, oh, they've gone north. And when he's when he's pressed, he says they've gone north towards Luthadel, uh, possibly towards some other thing that's to the north. Uh, the way this is, it, it kind of sounds like Marsh. Ha to me, I didn't think that Marsh was hiding something so much as like he literally doesn't know where he's getting this information from. It's like, like he has some sort of inquisitor sense. And he doesn't. He doesn't understand yet. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. There was just there was a couple of things that Marsh said and did in this chapter that just made me go hmm he, I mean he's he's definitely acted weird I mean we, we thought that the last time we saw him yeah. as well but I felt it was a, a little bit more this chapter um, so they uh, they make it down using their respective powers <laughs> yeah I was kind of surprised Martian just jumped down mm, to I be guess honest. That's, a, that's an interesting point like is there a point where an inquisitor can't survive a fall I or would be hurt by a fall. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't sure. I just kind of that's what I expected him to do anyway, and he didn't. Yeah, and you could think he could just drop a coin down. Yeah. Like, that's what Vin would have done. Yeah, but maybe I'm just too used to the way Vin does stuff to consider mm. other Mistborn types might do things differently. Yeah. So, uh, well, as I watches him do this, he thinks about the fact that he doesn't know like where Inquisitors come from still. Yeah. And uh, we, we get a little more mention of this over the course of the chapter. The chapter. Um, but Sazed gets down using his iron. And this is this is where it really becomes clear that like it's not necessarily worse. Uh, well basically he gets down by by storing his weight, thus making himself lighter. Yeah. So it's actually beneficial to him to be giving up some of his weight, which is interesting. It was definitely kind of one of the cooler things he's ever done. Mm. Uh, but I, we get another moment where Sazed addresses potential nitpicks, and this this really stood out to me because this is scientific knowledge that's like quite modern. He talks about how uh, the weight doesn't actually affect the rate of his falling, it's the air resistance yeah. acting on his lowered mass, which, like, I'm pretty sure that was only figured out quite recently. Like, that might be the most advanced thing we've seen in the story so far, that little piece of knowledge. Yeah. Um, which, I get, I, I think is literally just there because Bandit Sanderson was like, oh man, if I don't address this, People are going to write into me and be like, Oh, he wouldn't fall any faster because that's not how gravity works. And he would have to be like, Actually, that is how gravity works. 
Because, like, you know, the intuitive idea of gravity is, like, oh, heavier things fall faster, right? Yeah. And then Galileo proved that, actually, gravity acts equally on everything. It's just that the air resistance is what slows down things. Yes. You should know that from science class. I, I do know that. <laughs> I just wouldn't have been able to put it probably as clearly as you did. So yeah, uh, we're, we're at least up to Galileo here. I'm not sure... The limelights might be more advanced than that. Which were the, the only other like really advanced thing I think we've had called out. I've already forgotten when the limelights... I, they were being used as spotlights at... No, uh, I mean like when in history oh, they were right, coming yeah, out. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Um, we get some talk about the fact that Sazed is finding it odd to be around someone as tall as he is. Yeah, it was funny. You would have thought that was something he might have mentioned, like, in a different chapter. Mm, so, I can't recall if we knew for certain that Marsh had gotten taller. No, we did. Okay. I, I guess I just wasn't sure about that. But, uh, yeah, Sazed, apparently, again, this is a piece of medical knowledge that I guess Brandon Sanderson, like, I, I assume this is true, that, uh... I didn't fact-check fact check yeah, this either. Appar apparently, Sazed actually has, like, a medical condition where he's too tall for his frame. Because yeah. of his castration. Um, so he's, like, unusually tall, even for a terraceman. Definitely a strange little detail. Mm hmm. And it, it's only at this point, like, when they're, like, at the doors, that it finally gets... That that they it finds that Sazed stood within the crater, and I went, oh, oh, okay, <laughs> they're actually in a crater. I went back and reread. <laughs> oh, it took you that long. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, so they're they're I I I would thought they were trying to get up, and I was like, how is Sazed lightning himself, letting him get up? Is he is he going up the wall and then dropping down? <laughs> you really struggle with this a lot more than I did, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, that part of that is just that I missed. Uh, like, it, do, it does say that they were lowering themselves into the crevasse earlier on. But, uh, I, I think I just missed that line, but... Yeah. Um, apparently, tapping enough sight to see in the dark would drain Sassen's tin mind in a matter of minutes. So that's... curious, I guess. I don't know. I didn't think much of that. I thought that made kind of all it on from what we had already learnt. Yeah, I guess he, he only has like a small tin ring, right? So maybe that's part of it. Um, as this is where Sazed learns that Inquisitors don't need light to see, so nobody has told him. How they... Yeah. You know he's told Sazed anything about Inquisitors, it seems like. <laughs> didn't seem to kind of figure it out or guess at it. Mm -hmm. I, I guess she never mentioned it. Yeah, I guess she never mentioned that totally worked when she did that thing in the first book. So yeah, so throughout this chapter, Sazed doesn't know why all the walls are plated in metal. You know, it's obviously it's so they can see the walls. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is funny if you think, I, I guess that means that like they can't really see a lot of stuff. Like, can they see... It, it seemed to me that he couldn't see the bodies. In the room. Oh really? I, I didn't I didn't catch that. He kind of stood there and went, 
there's a bad air about this place, and that seemed to be him figuring it out. But he didn't oh. seem to be like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of dead bodies in here, like, straight away. Yeah, you might be right there. I thought, I thought it was more that, like, his senses were picking up that there was, like, disease in the air. <laughs> they probably shouldn't be here. <laughs> or maybe just that he was, like, feeling nervous about being around so many bodies. But yeah, I, 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 you might well be right, but like that was the point where he like smelled, oh hey, there's a bunch of corpses somewhere in this building. Yeah. Somewhere close to me. <laughs> As he stands right in front of the corpses. <laughs> that, that's how I read it anyway. Mm. In fairness, I think, the, I, think the, I think it was implied that they can see like trace amounts of, of metal and things. Yeah, like they could see more than like both this point. Yeah, so... It might be that the steel plating is more like the equivalent of like a place being lit up really well. Yeah. Whereas normally it's like they're walking around in like a dim, dimly lit area the whole time, and all they can see clearly is the metal things. Everything else is kind of shadowy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. I mean, they said we could see they could see water and such. So. Hmm. Yeah, that would require. If they could see water. That would require. Like, they're just seeing, like, the little tiny bits of metal in the water. Yeah. It must take a while to, like, adjust to being able to see like that. Mm. Yeah, because everything must be transparent to them, right? Like... Yeah. Actually, it must be super difficult to be a quizzer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, they, they managed somehow. I... So, a while back, you suggested that... I think it was you who suggested that the Inquisitors are made from like the best parts of a bunch of different people. They're almost like Frankensteins. That was something I said, yeah. Yeah. And this chapter really made me think that that might be right. Um, in particular, Sazed calls out that Marsh was a misting beforehand, and that he suspects that might be a requirement. Yeah. And it got me thinking, maybe they're not Mistborns, they're a bunch of mistings mashed together. That's how they have all the powers. Oh... That's kind of disturbing. Mm, I, I really think that might be what's going on, though. I, I only gave that, like, 25%, like, we at the time. But... Seems more likely now. Yeah, I, I, I really... I think it's... I would probably give it, like... I don't know, something, something quite high. Like, 70% or something. Like, I, I really think it's probably true. Um, it's not, there's a bunch of engravings on all these steel plates on the walls, which... Again, Sazed is puzzled by, but I guess the implication is that that's like Inquisitor art. Yeah. Something they can, that they can see. Only Inquisitors can understand the beauty <laughs> of this art. Yeah, well, I'm just reading the section where Marsh uh, talks about the bad air again. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, he, he does behave weirdly here. So, first of all, Sazed can smell the bodies. So, you would think Marsh would have been able to smell them first. Yeah. Assuming he's burning tin. Um, or, you know, it kind of seems like Quizzers might be always burning their metals. Not really clear. I feel like... If you don't have eyes, you're going to want to be burning tin all the time. Yeah, you would think so. To be able to hear and smell your way around on top of your, um... Yeah, at the very least, they seem to always be burning uh, steel and or iron. Yeah. 
they must go through a lot of um, well resources. We we get a we'll get to that when we get to it, <laughs> but uh, we get some insight into what's going on with that. <laughs> um, yeah, and says Marsh also says that he doesn't like being around Sazed when Sazed is seeing Inquisitor atrocities. I didn't really know what that meant. Yeah, it's very cryptic. That was that was that was something I also thought made him look more suspicious. He was like, "Oh, I'm gonna go off by myself now." And Saz was like, "Why?" He was like, "Oh, I I don't like seeing you be around atrocities." I don't know. It seemed suspicious. Yeah. Well, he specifically says, "I must be alone here. I cannot explain it." I I kind of think maybe this is also like an, there's like some inquisitor hive mind or something. It's like affecting him a little bit here. Like, he feels uncomfortable with the fact that he's showing these secrets to Sazed. Maybe. I don't know. It's... It's... There's... It's definitely suspicious. I don't know what's going on, but it's suspicious. Another suspicious thing he says is, I think a little bit before that, while Sazed is recording what he's seeing and, you know, kind of saying it out loud to uh, cement it into his mind, is, you know, Marsh asks him what he's doing and he explains... And Marsh is like, oh, Inquisitors aren't worth your records. Mm, that's true. And it was just super suspicious. Yeah. It, it seemed kind well, of like, don't tell, you know, kind of, don't be recording <laughs> our secrets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way he fra phrases it is like, he's, he's, you know, he's saying that they, they don't deserve to be recorded by history, they're so awful. Ah, uh, that's, that's not how it came off to Which, me. Which, in fairness, that might be all of this is, that, like, he is an Inquisitor now, but he also hates the Inquisitors. So he like, feels really awkward and embarrassed about being reminded about how awful the Inquisitors are. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe he's slowly turning evil. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, that's definitely a possibility. So, Sazed finishes his... Well, he, he, he records Yeah. So uh, that room. Marsh leaves at this point, and we basically transition into Sazed becoming the narrator. Yeah. Like, Sazed is just walking around now rating everything, and it's just blocks of Sazed talking interrupt uninterrupted for, like, pages and pages. Yeah. Uh, which I think is really cool, actually. It's like, like, I mean, Sazed's already, in a sense, like, the viewpoint character, but now he's literally become the narrator. He's, like, talking to us. Yeah. Not uh, talking to us super well. The descriptions <laughs> aren't great, to be honest. <laughs> like, I feel like it was going to be a kind of blurry section of history wherever Sazed has recorded something. <laughs> but, uh... Look, I won't judge, I suppose. It wouldn't have killed him to take some rubbings of the, uh... the artwork on the walls. Yeah. yeah. We learn later he has materials for that. Yeah, that might have been a I smart mean, thing I, to do. I guess he assumes this is still going to be here. Uh, but then why is he recording it? I guess it might be their only opportunity to go into it for now. So he himself might never go back. Mm. Or maybe he assumes someone else can go back to it now that he's recorded its. it's presumably, he's recorded its location and yeah. how to get into it and stuff. Yeah, but he he seems to think that it's important for him to take like detailed notes on everything he sees. Yeah. Look, who who really knows? <laughs> so as he's walking around, he finds some bloody tables. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So he goes down into the spooky basement. And, yeah, the, he finds a bunch of, like, operating tables or something. Yeah, he finds, like, spooky tables with, uh, bloody spikes 
uh, identical to those in Marsha's eyes, mm. which kind of suggests that perhaps that's where they make Inquisitors. Yeah, but, but, and this is where I get to really gloat, some of them are made of different metals. They are. So, okay, this isn't precisely what I pictured. I was more, I was leaning more towards, like, the metal was hidden inside the spikes. But, I, I mean, I did specifically say maybe they're made of different metals, I think. So, I, I mean, this is, this is the answer to how Inquisitors get their metals, right? They're, they're constantly burning metals which are get, coming from the spikes that are embedded in their body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they must have to change them at points, right? Pres presumably it must wear away over time, yeah. And, like, pulling out some of those spikes just straight up kills them, so how do they change them? Maybe they have redundant ones, because it seems like both the spikes in their eyes are steel, but maybe. Yeah. I don't know. How? So, like... There must be something they can more pull, to They it. can pull one out, but they can still see, because they've got the other one. That would suggest a lot of spikes, if, they're, if they've got spikes for every metal. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like the ones that, like, bind them together or whatever... What are those made of? Oh, yeah, that's true. There was the one that's the ones that when you pull them out, they just die immediately. Yeah, I guess. What are those made of? That, are those uh, just? Well, that might be the pewter one. That was what I thought at the time. But then you could never change those out. Well, you could add a new pewter one in and then take it out, I guess. But you're right. You th it would it would make more sense to have redundancy. Yeah. Um. I guess it's possible that one of the eye spikes isn't made of of steel. That's the other possibility, and they are just, it is just one of each. Maybe. And they're just there for, what, aesthetics? Well, like, you know, like you've got, like, maybe, I mean, I guess not, like, one of them could be tin, maybe. You know? Maybe. And maybe them being in a location close to what they're affecting is important. Thus, you've got the the one that provides them with their sort of metal sight, and the one that provides their regular senses. Yeah. And they're both in the head. I don't know. That seems maybe meaningful. Maybe. And you've got a pewter one in the torso somewhere. This also seems kind of fitting. But I don't know about the other ones. Uh, we, we know Inquisitors have adium. But they don't seem to burn it all the time, and they wouldn't have enough adium to do that, presumably. Yeah, maybe they burn adium normally, so they don't have an adium spike. Uh, I think, what other, other ones would there be? Like, I don't know what... Would like, they what? have organs? If they just have spikes just, like, driven through all the parts of them? I mean, yeah, I figure they've got, like, a spell weapon and stuff. Um, just, like, kind of squashed in between the spikes. Yeah, well, I mean, their brain seems to function even though there's, like, spikes through that. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I just... Like, pewter seems to cover a lot of, like, damage. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking, like, if they have to be in thematically related spots, uh, where would, like, copper go, for example? Like, I don't know. Right? It's, it's kind of hard to place some of the... Like, I guess maybe... Maybe copper could go in for the stomach, because, like, that's where metals are normally stored. It's, like, messing with polymers. I don't know. It doesn't matter, but... 
I, I think it's I think it's 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 interesting that the steel seems to go in their eyes. Yeah. Um it says a cowardly man that he is decides he doesn't want to know how they make an inquisitor looking at the, the blood everywhere. I mean, he seems like he's not gonna be able to find out, so because Marsh won't tell him. Has he asked? He says Marsh had uh, avoided his questions oh, okay. on the subject. Okay, so maybe he did ask. It's like one of the first things he says in the chapter. Hmm. He's like, he still doesn't know how they work or how they're made because Marsh just straight up won't tell him. Hmm. Um, and then, deep in this innermost sanctum of the Inquisitors, he finds a steel... Uh, a bunch of steel tablets uh, or rather, uh, sorry, one steel tablet, five feet across and nearly as tall, covered in writing. So a big old chunky piece of wall, <laughs> yeah, uh, covered in close, like small writing. I think. I feel like it'd be so much effort to try write on steel, right? Um, I've I've done it with. Uh, it, it's not that awkward. Like it's like etched in like. Yeah. Well, what what I. In, in metal work class in high school years ago, uh, yeah, you would we had like basically like chisels, but with the end in the shape of a letter, and you would hit the the, the spike. I don't know what it was called, like a punch or whatever you wanted to call it, and it would hammer the letter into the surface. Um, and you could do that depending on how it's written, like cuneiform is written on, on clay, but with the end of like a stylus, yeah, or a reed. So that, so that, because it was all made, so that it was all made of like sort of triangular straight lines. So like, there are languages that are designed to be made with repetitions of one shape, sort of saying. So like, you could just, you could literally just have a chisel and write with that, you know? Yeah, I just like, feel like don't get me wrong. It'll, it's certainly a lot slower than writing with a pen. Yeah, I feel like this would have taken forever. Yeah. And in fairness, we mostly did that on, like, software models. Yeah. Uh, doing it to steel, I think it takes a lot more work. So, what does this writing say? I write these words in steel, for anything not said in metal cannot be trusted. Yes, it's the little snippets. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, uh... Kind of seems like these ones are in order, or at least complete. Yeah. Like, unlike the, the Little Ruler's Diary, we don't get any, like, oh, these are bits that were edited out of what we saw. Yeah. It's just kind of like the whole thing. Mm. Or, like, a, a section of it. Enough, yeah. enough for the reader to go, oh, that's that thing I've been reading at the beginning of every chapter. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't quite catch up to where we are in it, but... And Sasset is like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I may have just stumbled across the most important keeper... Terrorist discovery ever, basically. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it may ac it actually contain info about the terrorist religion, which is like their holy grail. Yeah. Uh, and for a moment, it almost seems like Marsh is going to stop him from copying it down. Yeah, he is kind of like suggesting it at first. It's like, we should, we should leave, we shouldn't have come. Uh, but he does he does end up allowing him to take rubbings with the whole thing, so... Yeah, because Sazen is there like, I'm going to sit down and write this whole thing onto some paper. <laughs> and Marsh is like, no, no you are not. 
it's, it's funny, it says it said, oh, actually, taking your weapon is a better idea anyway. Yeah. I suppose. Weapons are kind of difficult to read sometimes, though. Hmm, I guess. Uh, and so with this precious information acquired, he uh, figures out his destination. Obviously, he has to go back home. It's like, no, he has to go to a large city where he can send a message. Yes, this is the only answer. <laughs> Which, uh, as, as he, his, he says himself, it's an excuse for him to go meet up with the others, finally. Yeah, he's not, he's not even kidding himself. He, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, that's, that's how the chapter ends. That's our, our little cliffhanger. Yeah. So, quite, quite a chapter. A lot of, a lot of stuff happened in this chapter. Um, kind of. Again, a lot of stuff happened, well, but a lot it of, seems to take a long time to get there. A lot of, like, world-building stuff happened, I guess. Like, in terms of like plot movement, I guess not that much happened. But I don't know, I, I really like this chapter, honestly. I think this might be my favorite chapter yet. Um, mailbox? Favorites and least favorites first. Right, okay, so... I am tempted to have the favorite be me being right about the spikes. Because <laughs> that's been... that's been brewing for a long time. But... Might um, not even be right, though. I... I don't know, I, I do like... I like seeing more of the... Furukami, I guess. And... I liked... I think I'll go with Saza narrating, actually. Saza's always seemed like he's a very sort of exposition-y character. So, like, it feels really natural for him to slot in as a new, as the narrator. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, think that, I think that was my favorite thing. The way he kind of, like, seamlessly became the narrator there. Uh, what would you say your least favorite thing was? Um... My least favorite thing was this chapter was felt slow to me. Hmm, interesting. I, I didn't find it that slow, actually. Like, it wasn't super long or anything, but it, it did feel like it was actually moving a lot slower. Hmm, I mean, it, 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 um, I will admit it felt long to me, so maybe it was just dragging <laughs> more than I realized. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just felt like a long, meaty chapter to me. Hmm. I don't know, it just felt like there was maybe not much movement actually in it. Hmm. I mean, usually these Saza chapters are quite short, and then this one was like mm. probably the longest chapter we've gotten in a while. That's true. And it felt like it was definitely dragging a little bit at points between all these big discoveries. Mm. Uh, for my least favorite thing, I think I have to put the Koi description, which we didn't really talk about actually. Of the fact that this is place is in the center of a giant crater. Yeah. Which, uh, like, I, I get what he's going for. That actually, actually, it, it might be the the bits where Sazid like turns to the camera and goes, "Actually, this isn't a mistake because it's what is he?" That's a little clunky to me. But, I mean, obviously, the, the thing that definitely messed up my enjoyment the most was the coy description of the crater, just mm. because. Uh, <laughs> again, that's that's probably my fault. So maybe it's not fair to call it a least favorite. But. uh... Yeah, I certainly didn't seem to struggle with it the yeah. way you did. Um, throughout, I was I was thinking that maybe it was going to turn out the Wall of Ascension was like under this. And that's why it's a crater. There was certainly one mention of like a pool of blackness, but it just turned out to be like a room that was like deeper than the rest or something. Mm -hmm. 
so, you know, I did for a second think, oh my gosh, it's going to be the Well of Ascension just, like, straight up in, like, the first... Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it did still turn out that there's some other deep secret under here. I mean, I assume there is, because it seems like somewhere we're going to end up back, back in later on in the mm. book. Yeah, I mean, just the significance of the fact that it's in the middle of a giant crater just seems so, like, clearly, like, a big deal. Like, where, what is this crater from? Did, like, a meteor of some secret 15th metal fall here? Like, what, what is this? <laughs> Did the Lord Ruler fulfill his threat and actually obliterate a city with ultimate power that he didn't really show later on, but whatever? I mean, I didn't really get the impression the Lord Ruler could literally obliterate a city like a nuke, but, uh, maybe he could. Maybe he did. Yeah. The only thing that survived was this metal tablet hidden in a basement. <laughs> That's true. Um, it, it, it definitely does seem like somewhere that we will be revisiting. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Well, we should probably put that on the prediction list. There was certainly a lot of, um, perhaps confusing description of the place itself, which you don't tend to get if you're not gonna if you're only you're not even gonna be spending more than one chapter there. I mean like I the guess. first the first sixth of this chapter is describing this place. Yeah, it's funny. It gave me almost sort of Lovecraftian vibe, like this ancient ruin. Yeah, it definitely definitely feels like horror vibes. Mm. Like I, I kind of half expected like Sazed's lamp to go out and just like him to like be hearing something moving around him. Yeah, it also felt a little bit sort of D and D esque, which again, because exploring ancient ruins is a, a common thing there. Yeah. You know, like the the, the talk about like, oh, Marsh can see fine because he's got dark vision, but says it needs a lamp because <laughs> he can only cast dark vision once per day and it only lasts for five minutes. <laughs> you know, I I I I was almost expecting like Marsh to like kill Sazed, to be honest. We're like Yeah, well that that moment where Sazed where uh, Marsh was like, No, we're leaving and Sazed is standing in front of like the holy grail of his entire religion. Yeah. That that definitely felt like ooh <laughs> What felt what felt ominous to me was when Marsh is just standing in the doorway of a room because he had been led there, perhaps by a presence Sazed could not feel. Mm. And Sazed walks up. I was half expecting just like all the Inquisitors just to be there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just to like murder them immediately or something. Yeah. There was a lot of like expectation that this was going to turn into our. Yeah, I do. It's been foreshadowed so heavily that, that Marsh is being corrupted. Like, I'm not even sure this qualifies as foreshadowing at this point. Like, Sazed outright thinks there's something weird going on with him. Mm that, like, I almost feel like it can't be true, you know? Like, it would be too obvious for, for Marsh to turn evil at this point. Maybe not turn, maybe have some sort of struggle, like, he's turning evil, but he has to do something big to redeem himself at the end, kind of thing, maybe? Maybe, maybe. Uh, okay, so that leaves your favorite. Oh, yeah, um... I guess that will kind of be my favorite, like, the ex- but I had this whole kind of anticipation the whole chapter mm, that it was gonna- spooky atmosphere? That it was gonna be a horror because of how it felt. Mm. It, it is spooky. Atmosphere-wise. 
But at the same time, I guess I could also make that my least favorite because it didn't ever go anywhere really with that. <laughs> so. Okay, so onto the mailbox. Yeah. So, regular commenter, Retro Rocket 24, uh, has a number of comments. Um. So, uh, do I do the prediction sheet and the Alamazi table? Yes. Yes, you do. Uh, more or less. I mean, we obviously, we fill in our uh, percentages. It's basically an equal workload. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I handle all of that stuff. Uh, Young's big off-screen task is that he's the one who checks ahead to see, to basically determine our schedule. Yeah. Because uh, if I try to check like how many pages a chapter is, it's it's harder on a on a screen to, to not, avoid reading things I find. Yeah, it's not super accurate whereas I can just kind of flip the pages yeah, without can, even looking you can at just, them. You can look at the physical pages and see, okay, this is how many pages there are. Um, yeah, unfortunately my ebook for this doesn't have the chapter breakdown. Yeah. Like, I, I can't jump to a particular chapter or see, like, what page number a chapter starts at and there's a, like, built-in index. Yeah, in fairness, my book doesn't have an index either. Yeah, well, my, it's, it's funny, my ebook for the last book actually did have that. It had all the chapters as, like, you could jump straight to them. Mm. But this one doesn't have that for some reason, so. Uh, it's a little bit of a shame, but, like, it, it's not a big deal. Um, so, uh, they call us out on our... Predictions regarding the Kandra not adding up to 100% correctly, which <laughs> you you questioned me on that, and I decided that there was no need for them to add up to 100%. Yeah, well, we were we were writing those down. Like, we, we we did talk about that. Um, mine was actually originally did, but I ended up reducing some of mine. So I, I I figured I should leave a little bit for we're just totally wrong about everything. Like something can always come out of left field. I feel like that should always have a few percentage points. Um, and I like put 110% into everything. Yeah, which so I left 2%. Does guarantee that you're going to end up being more wrong than right? I do. I I, I, I pointed that at the time. <laughs> it is true, but uh, but I'm fine with well, that. So it doesn't 100% guarantee because it, it is conceivable that more than one of those predictions could turn out to be true. It just doesn't seem very likely. No, probably not. But you know, like it could be that there's actually two Kandra in, in the city. And they're impersonating two people, or like the character moves from one to another, might also be argued to count. Uh, smooth versus rough magic. Uh, we never actually defined what those were. It was just kind of like <laughs> attempts at guessing or deciding maybe more accurate names. Yeah, well, look, the thing is, we never really picked whether hard or soft magic should be applied to the protagonist or the world building. Yeah. So we would need to shunt one of those to like pin, pin that down before we could assign the other one an, an actual name, I guess. <laughs> um, still requires some consideration. Um, does it make sense that they cannot run the horse? Yeah, it's actually mentioned that Breeze's horse is tired. I didn't. I didn't say that during the review, but that that was mentioned. So, it's possible that like a fresh horse can't outrun uh, 
or rather can outrun someone on pewter. Uh, yeah. I mean, it it doesn't... It's not that crazy. As it, they, they point out that if if you if you've got like Olympic level speed and like the maximum endurance, then it would kind of make sense that you would be going really fast. Yeah. Like a, if you if you have like a, a person, you're, if you're like sprinting as fast as Usain Bolt, but with the endurance of. It's not even really fair to say the endurance of like a marathon runner because the marathon runner can't run for multiple days straight. But uh, I don't know the endurance of like one of those hunters that hunts animals. You, you, you know, you know that. You ever hear about that hunters who hunt animals by just like following them until they the animal dies of exhaustion? No. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. Um, they reckon that's like how humans hunted a lot of their animals in prehistory. A lot of hunter gatherer groups do that apparently. Like. It's not like you have to be walking, like, constantly. Like, you just have to, like, walk up to the animal so it's spooked away, and then you, again, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, apparently humans are actually really good at, like, long endurance treks like that, compared to most animals. I didn't... I didn't know that. Um, the possibility that I don't think we specifically addressed is, what if Finn is the Kandra? And they're just so good at acting that even they don't realize. Or at least don't think about it in the narration. Um, we, we we kind of did talk about with Ilan could be the Kandra, because yeah. he's also a viewpoint character. But uh, yeah, I actually think that wouldn't be like a cheat, because it has been established that Kandra are like insanely good at acting to the point where it seems like they potentially absorb memories. So I wouldn't be that. Although, given what we've seen of Orosaur, at this point it does seem less likely that they're quite that uh, quite that absorbed into the mindset of the person they eat. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, fair point, which they bring up, which is that, like, how are Kandra, if they, if they aren't absorbing memories, how can they ever hope to imitate people as well? Like... Like, how could they get, possibly get enough information out of someone to fool everybody 24-7? Now, in fairness, with Reno, it was just Reno, right? Like, he wasn't interacting with, like, people who knew him back in the day, except Elend. Yeah. And Elend, like, met him once, casually. But even the fact that he knew that Elend had met him was like really weird and really does make me think that maybe they do absorb memories um but yeah it's in this case like if they're trying to be a member of the crew i just don't see how they could possibly pass an interrogation right like if they just if they just ambushed someone and ate them like how would they know enough to pass for that person they don't have any access to the memory. Like, I really go back and forth on this memory thing. Like, it seems so strong, but it also seems like they couldn't possibly do any what they do without it. You know? Maybe it will turn out that they absorb some of the memories, but not all or something. Um, they also bring up something which we kind of talked about this chapter, which is, what are Inquisitor's eyes actually made of? Mm -hmm. Because we were we were talking about 
how Marsh's nickname was Iron Eyes. But are Inquisitor's spikes actually made of iron? Um, I, I think they've actually been described as steel. Yeah. I but in fairness, so. you can't necessarily identify steel on sight that effectively. Yeah. But that would suggest that they're like a silvery metal. They're not black like... They're like wrought iron spikes. Uh, so yeah, in that case... But I mean, steel is kind of like iron. <laughs> so it kind of still fits. But it's yeah. all metal. Yeah, well, if, if, if I'm right that one of them is tin, then uh, that's even further away from being accurate. Uh, I think that's everything. Is there anything else in here you want to talk about? Um, you were right about them being able to use Alamancy without their hands, which I was doubtful about, because I didn't remember that. Oh, yeah, well, I, I think it wasn't so much that you thought that they couldn't use Alamancy without their hands, as that, like, they wouldn't be effective without their hands. I thought, like, there was certain things that they needed their hands for. Okay. Like, pushing and pulling, uh, like, with iron and steel. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I, I, I was pretty sure that they didn't need hands for that. I don't know, I guess it's just the image of, like, pushing does, and pulling. It does seem like they do... Well, I'm not sure if it's been 100% established, but I think they can push and pull maybe with different parts of their body or something. Well, because, like, we know, even though they normally push off or pull on the center of mass, Kelsier was able to, like, make something spin by pulling on one part and pushing on the other. So, it might be the same with their bodies. That, like, they can push from their hands specifically if they want to, like, balance on their hand or something. But I, I'm pretty sure it's been described as coming from their chest, actually, most of the time. Because if you remember when Kelsier did it, when he was inside the metal cage, he was like, it felt like he was crushing himself. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, I can't remember exactly how that was described, but it definitely seemed like it was like crushing his chest. I think I think the lines that they see have been described as coming from their chest. I might be wrong about that. But that that's how I've been kind of picturing it. That they mostly connect to their chest and like occasionally, like when Vin throws a coin down and like bounces off it, she might be pushing off from her hand. But again, this is just in my head. <laughs> yeah. Like in, in principle, she could just be pushing off of her center of mass all the time. Or it could be that maybe it's like your entire body always. I have but no idea, really. Yeah, it's... My guess would be that they can connect it to any part of their body the same way they can connect to any part of the target. It's just, like, a, a matter of skill, maybe, to a degree. Uh, but yeah, if you remember, way early on, I suggested that the Lord Ruler deals with having his head cut off Yeah. by just surviving using pewter and then levitating his head back into place by pushing on metal. So... I've been assuming this whole time that it worked without eating your hands. I guess. I figured that, like, it would just be, like, whatever body parts you had, you could you could push it off with. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense. I just, I hadn't thought of it like that, I suppose. And that, that's everything I wanted to mention. Okay, yeah, so that's the end of the episode, then. Yeah. Um, as always, you can reach out to be in the mailbox section or just tell us your own thoughts um, via Reddit. 
We post all of these on r slash Mistborn uh, via Twitter. We are at Pod Young Adult. Via email, uh, podcastyoungadult at gmail.com is our email address. And via a whole bunch of different apps and websites that host podcasts where they accept various reviews and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and of course those ones also help to, along with Reddit, also help to reach out the podcast to a larger audience, so uh, that's the, the best help you could provide us at this point. Uh, so yeah, thank you for listening, and don't forget to read the next chapter. Indeed.